All right, here we go. Episode 15 of uh, the Fighter Pilot Professor. I am your host, Meta, and uh, today we're gonna be talking about the anniversary of Iwo Jima and uh, how to delegate, how to learn to delegate is maybe the best way to put it uh, when you become the person that needs to do some delegate. So I hope you enjoy and we'll dive right in. All right, so uh, today, the day that I'm recording this, I should say, not the day that maybe you'll read this, but today is the anniversary of the Battle of Iwo Jima. And I'm, I'm not gonna talk so much about the Battle uh, of Iwo Jima besides, you know, it, it was a famous battle for its grueling and, uh, and devastating or high casualty rate for the Marines who conducted it. And also it, it famously produced this picture of uh, of Marines uh, hoisting the American flag, which by the way, this was the second attempt. The, the picture is, is actually the second attempt of the flag raising, but nevertheless. Ironically though, uh, the Battle of Iwo Jima really should have never taken place for an, a number of reasons. Um, and the biggest reason why that it should have never taken place was because it was not actually originally part of the Allied plan to defeat Japan in the Pacific. Originally, as you can see on this map here, the Allies planned to go through New Guinea, up through the Philippines, and into Hong Kong, and then from there, jump across either to Taiwan or Korea and into mainland Japan. So using Hong Kong, a, by the way, British protectorate, um, or British uh, colony, I should say, um, the plan was to kind of go the long way around. But, as you can see here on this map, after essentially two years of fighting, very little progress was made. Uh, so, um, they changed the plan. And this is where the island hopping campaign was really born. And the US essentially jumped the Pacific through a series of islands and bypassed large garrisons of Japanese forces on these various islands. And one of the first main places they went was the Marianas, a collection of islands, Guam, Saipan, and Tinian, mainly in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. That then served as a jumping off point for the next part of the invasions, which were Iwo Jima and then Okinawa. And then eventually the plan was on to Japan, the homeland of Japan from there. One of the other things that drove the the need to conduct the operation in Iwo Jima beyond it serving as a next stop in the island chain from Central Pacific to J the Japanese homeland was when the U.S. took the Marianas Islands, Guam, Saipan, and Tinian, this enabled B-29 operations. So in late 1944, the U.S. Army Air Force was able to begin B-29 bombing of J the Japanese mainland which had really not been accomplished since the Doolittle Raid shortly after the attack on Pearl Harbor. So this enabled these, this long range, this new long range bomber enabled the U.S. to now directly attack the Japanese mainland like they'd been doing with Germany over the past couple of years. The problem was, is that it was a long, long way from Tinian to mainland Japan and back, right? Roughly the equivalent of 
New York to London. It's a long way, right? And so as a result, uh, a lot of B-29s and a B-29 crews were lost due to battle damage or etc. cetera, uh, attacking Japan. And so we needed another place for them to stop in case of an emergency. And so Iwo Jima became the next likely stop. So that was the second main reason why the Battle of Iwo Jima took place, even though it was never really slated to be a, uh, an original, it was never really slated to be part of the original plan to defeat Japan. So in the end became a divert base for B-29s, it also became a fighter base for escorts, and then eventually Okinawa served that purpose as well. And then of course the war ended uh, after the dropping of the two atomic bombs. So there you go. That's how we came to get the Battle of Iwo Jima uh, on today's anniversary. Hope you enjoyed. All right, so um, one of the things that uh, people ask me a lot about is um, how do you learn to delegate, right? And, um, and, and I'm not gonna lie, learning to delegate is a skill that rising leaders and need to learn, but it's, it's really more challenging uh, than we initially imagine it, right? It's, it's more than just say, hey, go do that, right? It's, it's actually, delegating is actually really empowering your subordinates to do jobs instead of you having to oversee the doing of that job even, right? And the reason why often delegation is challenging, in my opinion, is because um, usually we get to be in positions of leadership because we are proficient at our jobs. Um, in other words, in the fighter pilot world, we say you are tactically proficient. Um, and so your tactical proficiency then leads to you to get opportunities for leadership. And then that grows your little bubble of leadership to bigger and bigger and bigger things. And eventually you get in control of larger organizations where you can no longer being the, you can no longer be the person doing the individual tactical things as it were. Right. And this happens a lot, I think in, in large corporate organizations as well, where, you know, somebody who is a smart computer mind, for example, like Elon Musk, maybe, or, you know, maybe a, an engineer, etc. right? They are good at coding or building or finance or whatever it is they're good at, right? And they grow this business and suddenly this business has grown to this huge organization and now they've hired all these people that work for them and they have to learn how to delegate. So, how do you do that? How do you learn to delegate, right? And like I said, it's bigger than just handing somebody a task and saying, go do this, right? It's actually empowering people to do the jobs. And that's, I think, the easiest way to think about it is when you get to a certain level of leadership, it no longer becomes telling people what to do, but empowering people to do the thing, the vision, execute the vision that you have as a leader, right? And so what that means to begin with is you have to define your vision as a leader, right? So lay out what it is you see the goals are for your organization, whether it's a big organization or a relatively small one. Even if you just have a handful of people working for you, you can do this. Um, and then from there, right, you sort of build the parameters for how you want that vision executed, right? So and in military strategy speak, we call it the ends, ways, and means. The ends are the objectives, 
the ways and means are sort of the paths that we're going to travel upon and the, the resources that we're going to use to travel those paths, if you want to think of it that way, right? And so this ends, ways, and means, now you are providing them either directly, like, hey, I'm going to give you this budget money, or I'm going to give you these people, or you're telling them sort of your vision for how you want something to be executed, right? I would like this particular project to go in this sort of way, and this is what I want the end result to be, right? You can also do this in much broader strokes with just sort of a vision for where you would like the company to go or the organization to go, depending exactly on how you're organized or what you're trying to do, right? And it could be these broad, very large sweeping things like, we well, are going to change the world because we're going to be the best, right? And then you just empower your people through stuff and ideas on how to get there. And then they create the ways of doing it all on their own, right? And so that's kind of the first step in delegation. The second step in delegation is making sure that you then sort of check in, right, with your people. And it's not, you're not micromanaging them, right? But but kind of giving them milestones along the way to what does done look like when I get there, right? Um, there's lots of theories and concepts on how to do this kind of stuff, right? But, but I need to make sure that, hey, they're following my vision for what I think the company or the organization is trying to do. And hey, by the way, when they're doing this thing, they might hit obstacles that you don't anticipate. They might come up with new things that you hadn't even thought of, right? And so these check-ins are not just something that allows you to sort of put the guardrails on, right? It also allows them to provide feedback to you and say, hey, this is way harder than we thought. We need something else or this problem exists and we can't take care of it. We need you as the big leader to be able to help us do that, right? And, and then also maybe, hey, they've come up with some really unique exquisite solution to a problem, right? And that problem can help you solve other problems when you didn't even know about it unless you're checking in with them, right? So checking in and updating the progress of those things that you've delegated to them is, is sort of part of the process. It gives a, a, a way of two-way for feedback, right? So that's a, that's just a short little, I mean, one little small piece of, of how to learn to delegate, right? Like sit down with your folks and, and lay out your vision. Write it out if you have to. It helps me actually write down my visions for what I want organizations to do, right? And then check in with your folks from time to time and see how they're doing. And, you know, maybe they'll surprise you and they'll do something amazing and create something wholly new that you weren't expecting. Hope that helps. Hope you enjoy and keep sending your questions. All right, so that wraps it up. Episode 15 in the books, as it were. Uh, keep firing your questions my way. Hopefully you uh, now know a little more about why we went to Iwo Jima in the first place and uh, how you might begin to learn to delegate responsibility to the people that work for you. Yeah. I uh, hope you have a good one and uh, talk to you soon.